Getting a little rowdy in here. Getting a little rowdy. Amen. Amen. Lord, we ask you this morning to remind us freshly of when you have proven to us how great you are. Remind us, Lord, of the battles that you have won. Remind us, Lord, freshly of the places that we didn't see how we would make it through, but somehow you made a way. You made the way. You broke the chains. You made the way. We bless you, Lord. We pray that this morning, by the power of your Spirit coming right into the places where we are, in our streaming family and folks right here in this room, that, Lord, you will help us to be able to separate between what is your fight that we'll never be able to win without you fighting it, and then what are the places that you, you tell us to stand and to wait for you. I pray, Lord, that there'll be great encouragement, folks who are just weary in the fight. They've been in a long time. They've been facing things that they never imagined that they would face, and it's worn them out. I pray, Lord, that you will do a, an amazing shift in our understanding, that where we've been fighting fights that are your fights to fight, that's the reason we're worn out. But what can happen when we hand those fights over to you? It's your fight, not my fight. Help us to get that today, Lord. Bring great freedom and release and encouragement and peace to hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. It's not your fight, it's his. There is an amazing young ranching family that lives together north of Austin. The aunt to that family is a friend of ours, one of the aunts, and she is a dear friend of of Abby's, and this story was passed on to us that I just need to, I need to try to share it with you briefly this morning. I, I may be getting some of the details a little bit mixed up, but this is the gist of it. The big brother in the family is about nine years old. The little sister is named Madeline, and she's about six years old. Connor is the, is the, is the big brother. As I said, it's a ranching family, and so uh, Connor has grown up with his dad and granddad, learning how to judge cattle, learning how to ride, and starting to learn how to rope. He's, a, he's got a show pig that won some big championship just recently, nine years old. That's Connor. Well, Madeline came home from school earlier, and I'm thinking it was this year. She's in about the first grade. She came home just real troubled, and it's a close family, mom and dad and the, and the two kids, so they're, they're close, and they, they talk together, and they listen to each other, and I, I guess this was around supper table or something, and, and, and little Madeline just began to talk about this boy that was, that was being mean to her in her class. We would use the term, I guess, bullying. Mom and dad picked up on that. And they let her talk a little bit. Connor's listening to it. <laughs> a little sister 
being bullied by a little boy. Her and Connor, the champion pig shower, is listening to this. The dad turns to Connor after they had heard the story and could see the look on little Madeline's face. And the daddy turns to the little boy and says, Son, you know what you need to do. And, the, and Connor said, yes, sir, I do. <laughs> I, I know this is a church meeting, but I, this, I just got all over this story. This just thrilled me absolutely to death. All right, now it, it ends up good. And no, no, there's no bloodshed in this story. Son, you know what you need to do. And the boy answered back to his daddy, yes, sir, I do. The next morning, they head out to school. Backpacks, whole deal. There was no rehearsal. The daddy never told the boy what he needed to do. <laughs> they show up at school, and that big brother gets out of the car or the truck, walks around to where his little sister was in front of the whole world and puts his arm around his little sister. And they walk together past the teachers and up the steps into the hallway, and they walk together down to her classroom. He walks her in the classroom, walks her to her seat. She gets settled in, and he turns around, and he just looks at that boy. And he walked on out. The teacher... I guess communicated with the mom in the story and the teacher described what Connor had done and the mom and the dad I guess asked Connor later why why did you do that why did you do what you did and here's what he said he needed to see me he needed to see me. In other words, Madeline, this isn't your fight. This is my fight. Huh? Now, that, I just think that is such an incredibly awesome story about how things can operate in a healthy family setting where we're not all islands unto ourselves, but where you get hurt or you're afraid, I'm going to step in where I can. But on the bigger picture, as an introduction to what we're talking about this morning, the Lord wants us to understand it's not your fight, it's my fight. The, the graphic to express kind of the direction of the message this morning showed the face of this lion, this male lion. Up close, you can see the eyes, you can see the whiskers. One of the names of Jesus, besides being the good counselor, the, the, the one with all wisdom and all the listings that we can have, one of his names is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now here's something you and I need to understand. Satan is not bothered one whit 
by our church attendance, by how much scripture we can hold in our brain that doesn't necessarily impact the way we live. It just informs what we think. He, he's, not, he's not backed off when we get all worked up and we start doing our little banny rooster strut to say things to him and against him as if we are somebody. The only thing the devil understands is a bigger gun barrel. He, you can't negotiate with him. He doesn't take human reasoning. All he understands is there is one name, there is one person that I have no competition with, I have no authority over, and his name is Jesus. He only understands the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you and I understand that we are chosen, picked out, blood-bought, wanted children of the lion of the tribe of Judah, members of the family of the king, and we will invite his authority, his power, into the fights that we face, then and only then are we going to see the enemy of our souls back away. It is strategically important for your happiness. It's strategically important for you to be able to live a life of peace and a life of joy, to understand the Lord saying to us, in the things that could come against us, when we're, we're standing where he put us, we're, we're trying to do what he's given us to do. We're holding on to what we believe he has given to us. And we're standing in that place. And we recognize this is not my fight. It's his fight. It's his fight. God gave you the children he gave you. God set you in arrangements and maybe in business because of your, your opportunity, because of the skills that he's imparted to you and given the doors that he's opened for you. The, the settings that we're in, in many different dimensions of our lives, we're in those places because the Lord put us in those places. We have relationships because he's the one who opened up the doors of those relationships. But where the enemy can come in and fool us and get us to believe in that it's our fight to defend this, he gets us in a place that he knows he can whip us, work us over, discourage us, and cause us to get to the place where we just give up on God, give up on everything. He's a professional liar. Satan is a professional liar. And if he can convince you that it's up to you how your kids turn out, it's up to you to save your marriage, it's up to you to cause your business to be protected and prospered, and, and, and the things that matter to us, it's up to us, it's up to us, it's up to us. He can wear us out. Though we can quote all the scripture and we're regularly in church and we know all the songs. Here's my question to all of us. I told the first service, listen, before I can, 
say these things to you, the Lord has had to walk through my life and work me over pretty good with the very things I'm saying to you. So I'm not, I'm not saying you folks out there. I'm just saying this is a truth for all of us, the people of God, to be recognizing that if the enemy has got us to the place of thinking that somehow these impossible things, that are not possible for humans to fix, but somehow we're obligated to fix them and maintain them or correct them and direct them, then he can get us to the place of wearing us out. Here's the question. Are you worn out today? Are you worn out today? Are you weary because of some circumstance that hadn't changed, some relationship that's still broken, some opportunity that, that hasn't fully manifested itself, whatever it may be, are you worn out? Are you worn out? Are you worn out? Are you sucking for air? Are you worn out? Could it be that the reason we get worn out and are worn out this morning is because we thought it was my fight? We've taken on the responsibility, the false responsibility of thinking that fixing people and dealing with the future and uncomplicating complicated circumstances around us is my fight. I've got good news. I've got good news. I've got good news. It's not your fight. It's his fight. If you are standing where he put you, if you're trying to do as best you can what he's given you to do, if you're holding on to and not giving away, but you're holding on to that which he has given you, and you're standing, you're standing in that place, then you and I have the joy of recognizing just like Connor would say to little Madeline, little sister, this is not your fight. This is my fight. And he didn't have to do anything but just walk in the room and look at that little old boy. And that little old boy has behaved himself ever since. <laughs> there hadn't been another lick of trouble from that little boy who was harassing his little sister because the big brother showed up. This is my fight. He just needed to see me. Is that not a great line? He just needed to see me. Oh, folks, I feel like the Lord is somehow wanting to say to us, you're fighting all this stuff on your own. You're doing all this, and it's your energy. But he's wanting to shout to us, the flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. It's not us being stewing and, and, and always upset and always feel like we've got to figure out a way and how we can correct this way of thinking and alter that choice. And, and we, we, we wear ourselves out to, the, to Satan's delight because he's knowing he's still dealing with us and he can whip us. But when it shifts, to, wait a minute, Lord, forgive me for trying to play God in this situation. Forgive me to stepping into turf that is only yours to rule over, to oversee, and to solve. And I repent of the sin. I confess the sin of taking on a fight that is not mine to take. 
I surrender that to you. I give these people to you. I give these relationships. I give the things that that I've been so worn out by. Are you hearing that, folks? You got permission to lay it down. You have permission to give it over. And if you don't step into that place of permission, you'll continue to be worn down, beaten up, and it will continue to be a situation that has no change because you can't change it. You say, well, God ought to help me. Well, what if you're in the way? What if you're in the way? Even trying to do good, what if you're in the way? And I know for moms and, and dad folks who love people, that can be a, that can be a hard thing. Well if, I, here's, here's what we, well, if I don't do something, nothing's going to happen. You know what that says? That says you don't trust that he will intervene. If I don't act, if I don't say something, if I don't do something, nothing's going to happen. So I've got to step in. And so what is all that stepping in been doing? Nothing. In, in, in fact, as we've said before on that, you know, going back through that thing of the prodigal son, or the, the boy that had run away, that, that you, I, and I don't know why we can't get this. If every time someone that you have a problem with, every time they see you, you've got the bar set so high for them to jump over in order for them to get an attaboy out of you, why should they ever come to your house again? Why should they ever show up? If all they're going to get is disappointment, failure, you're just still still not there when it is the heart of the Lord to say back to us, bar holders and, and situation monitors, if the Lord says back to us, it's not your fight. Drop the crazy bar. You love them and you love them unconditionally like I did you. And you let me take care of their hearts. You, you watch me do what only I can do. Now, the, the, the positive side of that is, that's why the Lord put some of us some, in impossible situations. It, it's because he knows that we've been taught. And we have come to understand, Lord, you put me here. I'm in this situation. And I don't know how in the world is going to be a solution to this in business or personnel or emotional. In whatever the setting would be, I know you've put me here, but I know I can't win this fight. This is your fight. And so he puts you in a situation. He gives you knuckle-headed, grown-up kids. Pick your... Pick your spot there. Whatever would be the place of real struggle and, and, and agony in your heart and that has worn you out. The reason that he's given them to you is because he knows that you've come to understand he needs to enter the fray. Heaven needs to rend the heavens and come down. That you will in that setting just keep giving the fight to him. Just keep giving the fight to him. Just, is that an act of irresponsibility on the part of a parent or someone who loves another? Absolutely not. It's the most responsible act that we can ever make. Lord, I won't step into this in my own strength, in my own energy, trying to say all the stuff I think needs to be said and change all the conclusions. I, I, I'm, I'm understanding. I can't fix them. But I know who can. And I'm inviting you into this situation, Lord. I'm inviting you to come and do what only you can do. He'll put us in those situations, folks, 
as he understands, as he knows that that's how we will react. We won't be trying to be the Lone Ranger with a silver bullet. We won't be trying to get everything in our own strength, but we'll be looking to him. We'll be looking to him to fight the battle for us. Okay, now if that's the case, if that's our choice, we've repented of trying to handle all of this on our own. And it's going to come in in juxtaposition to some of the views of what a responsible parent or a responsible friend would be. But because some of that view is, I've just got to stay in it. I've got to stay in the business. I've got to stay all over it. I've got to keep up with it. No, you don't. Smothering them. Smothering ones who, who need some freedom. Freedom from you. Freedom from me. Do not always hear what I've got to say that is defeating and negative and down, all right? So we, we, we hand it over to the Lord, whatever the it is, it's his fight, which means if he's going to fight, it will be with his power, not my power, his power. It will be in his timing, and it will be in his way with the result being the result that he wants. His power, his timing, his way for his result. You know, one of the things that'll just encourage you, I'm telling you, it'll just just bless you, is is to systematically go back through some of those awesome stories in your Bible where the power of God was demonstrated, where God was fighting a fight that only he could win, and how he did it, when he did it and how he did it. You go all the way back to Moses. They had come through that long journey of finally getting to the place where Pharaoh was saying, you can leave. Well, they packed up and they were headed and they were camped at the Red Sea, And all of a sudden, Pharaoh and the Egyptian leadership had a change of mind. Wait a minute, we're seeing our slave labor force disappear, evaporate. We can't let that happen. So they amassed their army, the Egyptians did, and they were headed to try to recapture the Israelites and bring them back, put them back into the forced labor. There was Moses. And from the very beginning, it had been settled into his heart. Lord, I can't do this. I I can't handle these people, (laughs) and I can't handle this Pharaoh and and all all of his authority and power. I can't do it. Moses had had it established. This is not my fight, Lord. This is your fight. And God, knowing that about Moses' heart, right there at the place where it looked like it was all gonna come loose or something Miraculous had to happen for the people to have their freedom out of Egypt. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you hang on to this, the wind started to blow. A natural consequence, a natural circumstance, the wind began to blow evidently from the west to the east. And it kept blowing that night, and it blew harder, and it blew harder, and it was strong, and with specific effect. And you remember what the effect was. There was a dry path made through an ocean. 
so that the waters congealed on either side and the ground was dry in the bottom of the Red Sea and the people were able to pass through. On the other side, after the waves came back in upon Pharaoh's army trying to do the same thing, here's what, here's what Moses said, and you can read it in your copy of the scripture, as he celebrates the victory of the Lord in defense of his people. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Sometimes you need a warrior. Sometimes you need a friend. Sometimes you need a shepherd. Sometimes you need a counselor. But my brother and my sister, sometimes you need a warrior. And his name is Jesus. And he's able. You, you go to, you, you leave Moses and you, you go to Joshua. Joshua outside the walls of Jericho. Captain of the Lord's hosts. This figure shows up, appears to Joshua. The discussion makes it very clear that this one had come to take over, not to take sides. Joshua, you standing on holy ground, take your shoes off. And many believe that was a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ. Coming as the commander of the hosts of heaven's armies. And he said to Joshua, take your shoes off, and then here's what you do. You walk, you lap the city one time. On the seventh day, you lap it seven times. And then the priests are to blow the trumpets, and the people are to shout, and the walls will come down. Moses or Joshua followed the instruction. They did what they did. But it wasn't the, the, the multiplied decibels of the, of the shouts of the people or the, or the sound of the trumpets. Folks, listen. The commander of the angel armies at the sound of the trumpets blown and the shouts of the people, that was the sign to the invisible angelic armies, armies to destroy the walls of Jericho. They fell in from all sides. They were circled about by an invisible realm of angels, of warring angels. Don't you forget that. When you hand a fight back to the Lord, it is the one who can cause wind to blow. He's the, he's the Lord over the natural realm. But he's also the captain of the angel armies. The captain of the angel armies. The captain of the angel armies. You see, there are folks we get burdened about and care about, but we can't be where they are. We don't even know what it would take to change perspectives and directions and so forth in their lives. But the Lord does, and He is where they are. And if He needs for there to be something in the natural realm to blow their hat in the creek with the evidence this must be God, He can do it. But you can't. If there needs to be something in the invisible supernatural realm where an angel needs to act or a series of them need to act, he's the captain of the hosts of heaven, and he can do it. He can do it. Oh, Gideon. Remember old Gideon? The Lord found him down in a hole trying to hide from the armies the, 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 the marauding armies of the enemies around them. And, and the, the, his statement to him was, Hail, O valiant warrior. 
and he's scared of his shadow. But the Lord saw him, picked him out to be the commander that would lead the troops against this force that was so many they couldn't even count. And and the the story's interesting over the few chapters there in in Judges where where the description is that men gathered to the cry to, to fight, but the Lord said there are too many. Shrunk the number down to 300. And then the Lord said, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's, here is the way that you will participate me in this fight, with me in this fight. You're, you're, to, you're to have a trumpet. Every man gets a trumpet, 300 of you get a trumpet. And then you're to get a torch lit and put it in a clay pitcher. And you are to array yourselves around the side of the hill in the middle of the night. And when the signal is given, you blow the trumpet Break the torch, break the pitcher, and raise the torch. And you know what? It worked. What happened? The people, the enemy thought that this was this massive army when it was only 300 men, and they didn't have a sword or a bow on their body. All they had was a trumpet to blow, and a pitcher to break, and a torch to raise up. And God took impossibly little things and he multiplied them into insurmountable massive projections of fear. The power of God, the power of God, the power of God, the power of God. So we hand these fights over to the one who has those kinds of power, demonstrations of power. But when we do that, this is very important, when we surrender this fight to the Lord, the fight will happen, the victory will come in His timing and in His way, with His desired result. How many of us, maybe not talking this way, but talking to each other, Just insinuate, well, the Lord missed a mighty good chance to fix this. The Lord missed an opportunity to handle this. When our view is relative to just our immediate circumstances, why does he let it go on? Why doesn't he come and stop it sooner? There are mysteries, folks that we're never going to understand until we get in his presence. But his timing is vital. If you ever figure, figure that, you can't rush him. Anybody had any luck rushing the Lord? <laughs> now we can make our requests, and we do. We cry out, and sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's in a short period of time. But some of you I'm talking to who have been waiting a mighty long time for this breakthrough. Here's a piece of truth that I want, you to, I want you to let into your heart. When the fight is the Lord's, the fight won't wear you out because it's not your fight. Because you are not expending energy on the defeat of the foe and the accomplishment of what you feel like needs to be. You say, well, where'd you get that? I want you to find, if you would... Psalm 27, 
And let me just read this. I've already got it marked. So this is David. This is David. But I want you to notice, notice what he says. I would have despaired, verse 13. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. When it is the Lord's fight to be done with his power, in his timing, in his ways, for his desired result, then our only assignment is to wait. To wait, twiddle our thumbs, wait, daydream. No, to, to wait for what only the Lord can do. To wait for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. This is loaded with permission, folks. For all the fixers and the stewards and the, and the ones that have just got to get everybody's business all the time in order to feel like you're having some good, making some good out of it. You've got permission to wait. Meaning to step back and step out. And to allow your heart the word wait means to be intertwined, to be wound together with the Lord's heart so that the conclusion within you is, I can't do this. I'm not capable of fixing this. And I will wait for what only the Lord is able to do. But I am believing that he's coming. I am believing that it is hard to do it. It is hard to fix. He, he, he will say, I would have despaired unless I had believed. That I would see, we sang about this a minute ago, that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's coming. It's a hope that's coming. But then he says, here's what you do. When it's something that only God can accomplish, you wait, you have permission, but you also have a command. Don't get in God's way. Don't get to messing with how he chooses to do it and his timing. You wait for the Lord. And while you wait, you let your heart take courage. The courage rising because the confidence shifts away from you and what you and I can't do onto him who knows no defeat. We get tired we get hopeless. We consider defeat in the sense of just completely giving up when our eyes are stuck on us and our resources, our abilities. When we realize that's a sin in the sight of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So we get in these places that are too big for us and instead of that being what it should be to evoke an immediate turning to the Lord, or to give this to you, this is your fight. The fallen part of us can just stay stewing and, and, and trying to figure out and trying to manipulate instead of waiting for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do. Now look at this other one, this other verse. This is Isaiah chapter 40. This is just a great section of Scripture. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, watch this, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. They that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. Here's how you know whether or not you're waiting on the Lord to do what only the Lord can do or you're trying to fight God's battles in your strength. It's whether or not you're weary. Whether or not the circumstance, the setting has worn you down and out. Keeping you frustrated, keeping you discouraged. We can keep on going that way, thinking that one day what I've been doing all this time is going to change the situation. Or we can just, here's the situation, here's the situation, and I'm stepping back away from that. I'm getting my hands off of it. And I'm saying, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for trying to fight this fight in my own strength. My intentions were good. I was wanting the best. But what I'm seeing is I am having no effect. Nothing is changing except that I'm getting worn out and negative and pessimistic and doubting everything. So I call that sin. I confess that is sin before you, Lord. Forgive me of the sin of trying to fight a battle that is only yours to win. I take my hands off and I step back and I give it to you. What happens is he has a way of lifting that. And in the place of the burden, he, he, he has a way of bringing a sense of courage, a sense of fresh hope, a sense of strength returning, that the weariness dissipates because fresh strength comes in. My child, my, my brother, my sister, child of God, will you, will you own that as part of your birthright? That the Lord is saying there's fresh strength when you're weary. You wait on me. You wait for me to do what only I can do. And in the place of the burden and the frustration of you trying to figure all that out, in the place of that, fresh strength. Fresh strength. It won't begin to flow until we give the fight to him. Maybe we've never met anybody who was able to do that. Maybe we've just been taught by the culture around us, worry, worry, stew, stew, fret, fret. And as a result, we can be surrounded by a whole bevy of people, worn out, negative, pessimistic, doubting. And the answer, the solution to that is we realize it's not my fight. It's his fight. 
Can somebody say amen to that? It's not my fight. He said, put a face to that. Put a desk to that. Put a street address to that. Whatever it is, you look at that face and then you make this statement, it's not my fight. The Lord in his fairness, the Lord in his love for you is not going to give you a responsibility that is humanly impossible for you to accomplish in your own strength. Amen. All right? So we're standing where he put us. We're trying to do what he's given us to do. We're holding on to what he has given us, and we are standing. And as we're standing, we're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting for him to do what only he can do. But I want to show you something, and this is in Romans chapter 8. Now, we won't go much longer after you look at this with me. Romans chapter 8. Uh, in Ephesians 6, there is the command. You stand. You having done everything, you stand firm. In Ephesians 6, in that section on spiritual warfare, it is about the assaults coming against us, the, 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 the struggles that we can find in this life. But he said, Paul will say, you, you having done everything, you just stand. Meaning, it's not our battle to fight. It's not our battle to win. But the Lord will position us in a place where we will stand believing Him, looking to Him, trusting Him, and waiting for His deliverance. But I want you to notice this in Romans, Romans chapter 8. And this is verse 32. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Verse 37. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now go back to verse 35 and notice that personal pronoun, who. Not what shall separate us, but who shall separate us from the love of God. Who will have the power to cut off or to change the love of God for us? And who will have the power to cause us to stop knowing the love of God in our hearts? The who is identifying a person. And the person is Satan. The person is the devil. And here's what he does. Here's how he tries to cut off 
the flow of the love of God or our sense of the, of the love of God within our hearts. Here's what he throws at us. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Those things are not coming from the Christ who loves us, but they are coming from the Satan who hates us. And his design is to use the circumstances, the pressured, painful circumstances to try to work to convince us that these things are happening because God doesn't love me. Paul will go on to say, we overwhelmingly conquer the intended effect of all of the arrayed negative hurtful circumstances that Satan keeps firing away at us, we overwhelmingly conquer. All of those things, the result of all of those things, because we are still assured that God loves me, that that can never be taken from my life, that Christ who died on the cross to demonstrate his love for us That's not being taken back. That's not being altered. He loves me. The Lord loves me. The Lord loves me. And the fact that I'm still knowing the love of God in the middle of the things that are happening to me is proof that Satan is losing and Jesus is won. Folks, these, these, these ones that are, you hear sometimes, you read about, say, oh, here's the way you know God loves you. Here's the only way you know that you're a favored child of God. It's when you've got five different houses and 16 different vehicles and planes and pilots to take you all over the world. And prosperity, prosperity, stuff, stuff, stuff. If, if that's the conclusion, then what in the world do you do with this section of Scripture? Paul is saying... That even when nakedness, the inability to clothe myself as I would wish to. Even when the javelina persecutors are coming after me so hard, I don't even know how to get away from them. Even there, there rises up within my heart. God in Christ loves me and is loving me. And I overwhelmingly conquer what Satan is trying to convince me of because I know it's coming from him and not God, and I refuse to believe any syllable of it. We stand and we wait. We wait loved. We wait loved. We wait loved. And we wait with the authority that that sense of being loved brings to our hearts. I've got to tell you another Story, child, kid, story. Granddaddy told me a couple of days ago about something that had happened with his six-year-old grandson at school, another school story. He said that, and this, this, little, this little guy is wired for 220. I mean, he is all over the map. He's got an opinion about everything, talks like a $2 radio. And man, he's a cute little old kid, just smart, sharp, got just, just full of life. Well, that, that can be real good if his grandparents are around, but you take, this, take that to school. And the teacher on one day recently 
had, had to start trying to deal with that, calm him down. And um, it went throughout the day. He, he just, he just is one of, his, one of those days, he just couldn't, couldn't settle down. And she was having to say, you need to, you know, you need to behave, you need to mind us, you need to do these things, sit at your desk and be, you know, at the end of the day, he walked up to that teacher, looked her in the eye, <laughs> and he said, my daddy's going to take care of you. <laughs> my, my daddy's going to take care of you. Now you say, Pastor, what in the name of heaven are you trying to illustrate? Here's what I'm trying to illustrate. That little boy knew his daddy loved him. And there came to be an authority and even a boldness about knowing that he was loved by his daddy. Now, he made a critical strategic mistake <laughs> because once his daddy heard about the situation, the daddy was immediately on the side of the teacher. But that does not fail to illustrate the point, albeit limited, that when he knew he knew the love of his father. He knew that somehow his father would fight the fight for him. That's what he wants you to know. That's what he wants you to know. Let it in. Let it in. Lay it down. Lay it down. And let it in. I'm telling you, there's some of you that can walk away from this time together with a freedom, with even a joy, with a courage about the future. When you give something to the Lord, He doesn't forget about it. It's not going to confuse Him. And He has a solution already in mind. Let it in. Let it in. It's not your fight. It's his fight. You remember, you carry away with you that image of that big brother with his arm around that little sister as if to say to her, this isn't your fight. This is my fight. He just needed to see me. When the Lord steps into the fray, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is fighting the battle for you, Satan cannot stand. But you and I try to bluster, you and I try to manipulate, you and I try to reason. It's nowhere. It's not your fight. It's his. Lord, would you take this where it needs to go today? Would you take this where it needs to go? Would you, would you lift out of our hearts wrong conclusions, wrong logical patterns that have kept us in the places and seem to give us permission to continue to do what we've done, only to realize that it 
so often just makes matters worse. It ends in futility. When all along you're saying, it's not your fight, it's mine. My power, but it will be my timing. It will be in my way. And it will be with my desired result. Would you take us to the place of peace there, Lord? Would you take us to the place of being able to embrace that? Holy Spirit, please fill us in the places where our hearts and emotions have been occupied by control, feeling like we have to control. Release us from that, we pray. We call it a sin needing to be confessed, and we confess it even now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lift the weight. Lift the weight. Fill our hearts, we pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I want to bless you, those of you who are able to be here in the building. Glad to see you. Thankful for your coming. We bless every one of you who are part of our streaming family, wherever you may be. We bless you in the name of the Lord. If there are some things that we can pray with you about, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, send them to us, just enough for us to know how to pray, what is concerning you. And we'd love to do that. Bless you for your prayerful support, the different ways that you've supported the ministry here and what's going forth from here. We, we're not really worried about trying to build some big group here in San Antonio. We're just praying that this will be an opportunity for us to be able to encourage the sheep of the Lord, feed the sheep wherever the sheep are across the country and even locally, of course, right here. If you're able to get here, you know, our doors are open. And we'd love to have you. just something about being able to see each other and hug a neck or two and be able to hear the sound of voices as we worship the Lord together. We'd love to have you. Love to welcome you back. Amen. Prayer partners, if you'd join me here at the front, we, we want to pray for you. If anyone, any of you need someone to just stand with you in the place of prayer, that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. Would you say the name that is above every other name with me? Would you say the, the name of the one who has all authority? Would you say the name of the one who has never lost a battle and he's not going to lose mine or yours? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Let's stand together and you come this way if we can pray with you. And we'll be seeing you next time, streaming family. God bless you.